Welcome friends, my name is Jonathan Reeder and I am the Community Life Pastor here at Friends Church in Orange. And we are so glad that you are checking out this message today. We hope that you find inspiration for your spiritual journey wherever you're at on that journey. We're just glad that you're here today. If you wanna find out ways to get connected here at Friends and be a part of our community, you can just check all that out on the website that you're on right now. Find out how you can be a part of what is happening here at Friends. We hope you enjoy this message and we hope that God blesses you through what you hear. that you guys are here. My name's Kyle. I get to be the lead pastor of this campus of Friends Church. I'm the old guy around here, and so welcome. We are thrilled that you're here. Many of you are part of our church family. I get to see your faces. Welcome back. And lots of you guys may be new. This is your first time being here, and we're honored that you would be here and join us. As Sean mentioned, we're concluding our All Things New series. And as I was thinking about this weekend and preparing this week for this message this weekend, I was thinking about all the different things that I taught my kids when they were growing up, right? There's so many things we want to build into our kids, right? We teach them trying how to be a good friend, how to be a good sibling if they have brothers and sisters, and how to be kind and compassionate, how to, how to play games and sports and whatever that looks like. But you know, one thing that I did not have to teach my kids is, that's right, selfishness. And you didn't teach your kids that either. And nobody taught you that. It's just in you, right? From the moment we start, we, we get toys, we get clothes, we get whatever. It's just, well, even if it's not your family, take them to the park, right, with the skateboards or the bikes. And all of a sudden it's like, wait, that's my skateboard. That's my bike. That's my ball. You can't play. Just everything's mine, right? It's just, are these just my kids? You're looking at me like this is just my family right now. It's like, I, this is us. I know that. And one of the things startlingly that created some of the most fascinating just arguments in our family, when the kids were young, right? Yelling and screaming and tears would be this little guy, the goldfish. Any of you familiar with the goldfish, right? These could create some of the most heroic scenes and arguments, whether it was in our own home or at a restaurant or in the back of the car, I've ever seen in my life. You'd put out a few of these for the kids and they'd, all of a sudden one would be done and one wouldn't and they'd start grabbing it. It's like, ah! and screaming and saying, he take my goldfish and whatever it is and all these things that we're trying to teach him. And I would just say, I remember blurting out once, okay, look, when you share, there's always more. So just give him a couple. And then in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, do we have more? <laughs> like I'm thinking, what, do I even have more goldfish at this point? I hope I do, or this is gonna be really bad. It's gonna be incredibly painful for all of us. But here's what I thought. You, you think that kids, you think that we would grow out of this and we don't. And I remember specifically my sister, I have one sister, and she and I were in high school. And I was in high school when, in the day when, like, you guys remember Ocean Pacific and Lightning Bolt, Maui and Sons? Anyone? The cool, those were the brands of that day, right? So again, I'm comfortable with my age. So anyway, <laughs> we had this sweatshirt that both of us loved. This Maui and Sons sweatshirt, blood, cool logo, everything. And so we would fight over it. And I'd be like, it's mine. And she's like, no, it's mine. Mom gave it to me. We're teenagers fighting just like kids over goldfish. And so one day I decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to solve this. And I cut the sleeves off the sweatshirt. <laughs> that way I knew she wouldn't want to wear it anymore. And I'm like, I, now I get it. I get to wear it. You seem startled by that I'm so capable of evil like that. <laughs> but it's like, that's just what I do. So the bottom line is nothing changes like, we are, we are willing to sacrifice even relationships for things, for stuff, to hold on to it because it's mine. 
We're willing to sacrifice not just relationships with each other. We're willing to sacrifice our relationship with God over holding on and clinging to things and saying, this is mine. And that's why I'm so glad that you guys are here this weekend of our All Things New series, right? We've been, how do we find renewal in the midst of the ruin of this world and even our lives? And we've looked at these foundational rhythms of renewal that got established in the early church in Acts, and then we live them out today as a church family. So if you've been here, just quick recap over the last few weeks. We looked at gather and grow and go, right? The idea of gathering, and you guys are crushing this one, by the way, because you're all here. Well done, right? But the idea of being together just to remember who God is, to be encouraged, to listen for his voice, to let him speak to us and encourage one another, to grow together. We know that we will never become everything God created us to be by just coming to church for an hour on Sunday. And so we got to get together. We've got to grow with one another in smaller groups. That's why we do things like men's, which is launching next week, women's, which is Alpha. We had over 50 people at Alpha last Thursday night. It's amazing. Just come on, join, because we got to grow. we got to become who God called us to be. And then we got to go. Like Kylie was saying, we talked about that last week, right? We've got to go towards the world. We've got to go towards the people who are marginalized and feel distant and so far, right? from God and from one another and relationships. And so today we're going to look at part of then this foundational rhythm that fuels all that, and that is the idea of giving. What does it look like to give, right? To combat the selfishness that literally is born into every single one of us. Giving is a powerful discipline, a discipleship tool, a rhythm of renewal that God gave so we would experience the best of him and the best of one another. So I'm so glad you guys are here today. Take out your Bible if you brought your Bible with you. Turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you need a Bible, there are always Bibles right back there at the Connect Corner. We'd love to have you grab one. Take You can take it with you, right? Just write in it, whatever. But I love that you bring your Bible. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to give you a little context as you're turning there. Give you some time. Remember, one of the things you got to know is just a little disclaimer. In the Bible, there's about 500 passages on prayer, for example. In the Bible, there's about 500 passages or so on faith and what it looks like to live out of faith with God. In the Bible, there are over 2,000 passages on giving and money, right, and finances and generosity, over 2,000. So two things we learn quickly is, number one, that this is something that's very close to God's heart and it's something that's very important for all of us. The second thing you gotta realize, this is gonna be a long morning. <laughs> totally kidding. We're not gonna cover all 2,000. We only cho- I'm only choosing one. But part of that then is it would be impossible for me to even try and paint the grandest picture of all that giving means for our, for our, our journey with Jesus. So we're just going to look at one passage today. The one that we're going to look at, right? A letter from Paul. If you were here last week, we talked about Paul. Paul wrote to the church, to believers in Corinth. And here's the thing. The the first few verses of this, you know what he's doing? He's just encouraging them. And he's affirming them. And he's saying, you guys are amazing. The way that you've already been so generous and kind. Remember, you guys are awesome. And he's just encouraging and loving and affirming. Because he's actually sending a couple guys to go bring more money back for the church in Jerusalem. So the first five verses, he's just affirming and encouraging and reminding them of who they are, which I love because that's us. Like, that's this church. If you've been a part of this story, 
That's amazing what we get to do. You've gotten to hear stories already that Kylie and Sean were sharing just about the generosity. So we pick up the story in verse 6. Paul says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Now, pretty simple, you know, you got to remember, talking to those days, the listeners, agrarian culture, they saw and were in and among farming every single day. And yet, I believe it translates for us today pretty well, right? I often, I love the Bible, I say this all the time, it's not as complicated as we want to make it. Right? And here's what he's saying, really simply. What you give impacts what you get. Sound right? Right? I mean, what you give impacts what you get. And then he uses this farming illustration. So let's just use goldfish. Right? So let's just say that I, this, these goldfish were, were seeds. Because this is how farmers would have planted seed in the first century. Right, not machinery and all stuff. They would have planted it by hand. So let's say they have this handful of seeds, and what he's saying is, you're, you're going to scatter seed, right? And then you're going to hope that it that it grows, that the sun's going to shine, that the right amount of rain's going to come, that you've prepared the soil well, and then it's going to grow over time, and you're going to harvest that. Now, one of the things that we know that we could even understand today is, do you think that every single seed is going to grow? No, of course not. We go, oh, of course not. That's called a yield. Every crop has a yield. And there's always like some diminishing returns, right? There's always some that doesn't grow, that doesn't work out. So today, just looked up quick. I'm not a farmer. Just looked up. I go, what kind of yield do, do farmers get these days? And so they said even, so today it's anywhere between like, like 70 to sometimes up to 90, 95%. That's pretty good, isn't it? That's amazing. So think about all the technology and everything that we've learned, all these centuries to help aid that. So you could imagine in the first century farming, if this is what we have with the tools available to us, you got to imagine probably in that day, what, 50%? Seems pretty amazing, right? So he's saying you're going to scatter some seed, right? And what you give is going to impact what you get back. Because you could assume that less than 50% of that or around 50 is going to come back to you. Make sense? Right? So we're all on the same page. You're like, this Bible thing's so easy. I love this. Now here's what you're thinking. Same thing I'm thinking. If what you give impacts what you get, I don't know about you, but you know what I'd do? I'd scatter more seed, right? I'd toss more out there and go, all right, if I'm getting 50% back or whatever, now all of a sudden, I'm getting 150% of what I originally started with just because I kept doing what? Scattering seed. Because what you give impacts what you see. You're starting to get this. Now, so here's the thing. This is the first principle he's teaching us in this passage. It's pretty simple to understand. What you give yields what you get. And the whole world knows the importance of generosity and how important it is to us. Generosity, generous people, the world will tell you. And we know there's, they're more satisfied in life. They tend to be happier and more content with wherever they live. They have stronger, better, deeper relationships with one another. They tend to be more physically healthy and happy, which all of that then, of course, impacts what? Your mental health, your emotional health, just by being generous, by scattering seed. So if that's what he's saying, what you give is what you get, here's the ideal. So I think all of us have to think through, what are we, what are we giving then? Some of you may be giving this. Here's a little packet of seeds. 
And you know what God does? God doesn't shame and he doesn't guilt. God doesn't do any of that. He goes, that's awesome. I'm so proud of you. And he takes all that and he does what? He does what he promises he's going to do. He's going to give sun and water. You're going to get a harvest on that. But I don't know about you. If that's the principle, what you give is what you get, I'd go get something, something bigger. But, right? I'd get the biggest thing I could find. And I don't know about you, but I'd scatter a lot of seed. It's like if this is what God's doing, I'm going to keep throwing. Because he's going to take it all, Right? And he says, what you give is what you get, is what you return. The problem is some of us are tossing packs that size, and we want that in return. And God just delights in whatever it is we bring to him and give back. And so the first question I, I think Paul would ask us is, is how, much, how, much, how much are you giving? How much are you planting? How much are you scattering? Because that's going to determine the way that God blesses and sees you. He goes, oh, I'm so proud of him. He's going to take all of what you give. He's going to bring sun and rain. He's going to grow it. But what you give determines what you get. Now, it's interesting, right? Because we have to hold on to things in the midst of that. And the one thing we understand is, uh, as he continues, is what's going to determine, what are, the, what are the factors that determine what, what we sow? What are the factors in our life that determine how much seed we scatter and why? Right? That's probably what's going through your brain. And I love that that's what's going through your brain because that's the next thing Paul talks about. If you look at verse 7, he says this. Now, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. The second, the first thing we see is what you give impacts what you get. The second thing we see is your heart actually impacts what you give. That's where you're deciding, right? You're deciding in your heart. That's right. It's right there on the screen, right? You're deciding in your heart what to give. So you're thinking, what impacts my giving? Well, my heart does. Now, you've got to remember, biblically, when it talks about heart, it's not the muscle that's like pumping blood through your body. Literally, it's like the core, the center of your being. It's sort of the convergence of your intellect and your mind and your thinking and all the thoughts related to that and your emotions and how you feel and all the things that contribute to that and even your spiritual life, what you think or believe to be true about who God is and your relationship with him and how you are experiencing him and how you want to, all of that is what forms your heart. And so he's saying you're gonna give out of that place. That is what impacts what you give, it's the center. And so essentially, it's almost like your, your heart, your, your giving is a thermometer of your heart. It just takes its temperature, right? So if you want to see your heart condition, just look at, look at your giving. Look at, your, look at how willing you are to scatter seed. Because it's saying your heart impacts your giving. And you can see that's what it looks like. And we understand this. I certainly understand this in my life. And I look back and I think about, I mean, I've been in the church since I was a kid. And I remember the way that this would play out in my life is I grew up and, and God was big and he was powerful and he was strong and he was majestic and he was everything you could imagine. But I just was taught to be obedient. Just do whatever it is you're supposed to do. And so I knew I was supposed to give, so I would give. But the problem was I, I couldn't sustain that because over time, 
the pressures of life start crowding in, right? And all of a sudden, I'm this young adult trying to go through college, and those bills are packing up, and then all of a sudden, we get married, and all of a sudden, things are getting tighter because we're living above a garage, and all of a sudden, we just start to catch our breath, and then what do we do? Have kids, and, and here's what I've learned. It doesn't get cheaper. Here, news, college is more expensive than diapers, See, you guys knew that. I didn't know that. So it never gets easier, right? It's like it's crazy. And so the bottom line is, is when I was younger, like my heart would impact my giving because my thoughts and my emotions, the fear that I had of not being able to provide, even my view of God that he was withholding and he was only going to bless me if I could give, but I wasn't giving. And then it just created this spiral of guilt and shame. And that's why it says, don't give out of guilt. Don't give out of shame, Right? But just take your temperature and look and see what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your emotions. And here's what I love that it tells us how to give. How does it tell us to give? In a word, cheerfully. That's right. Okay, so the, the Greek word there, this is just fun. The Greek word that is used there is the word hilario, which, of course, is where we get our word See, you guys are scholars. You didn't even know it. Which if, look how easy this is. You just start like, you're like, hilarious. That's a, think about the things in life that you go, oh, that's hilarious. And what do you do? You laugh, <laughs> right? Like, it's like, let's create a great laugh track right now. Like, if something's hilarious on the count of three, give me your best fake laugh. One, two, three. <laughs> okay, now look, this is what he's saying giving is supposed to create in your life. It's supposed to be hilarious, Right? So when all of a sudden, when we start talking every weekend about generosity and this slide comes up, we should go, one, two, three. <laughs> oh, that's the best. That's what's supposed to happen. Unfortunately, what often happens is we start scrolling our phones and like, oh, okay, wait a second. I think maybe it's a good time to get coffee, you know, and I just walk out. Because it's just taking the temperature of our heart. Just figure out why is that. and what, It's just an opportunity to go, how am I thinking about giving? How do I feel about giving? What are the barriers to that? And what are, it's just a great way to take the temperature of our life. Not only that, here's what's beautiful. Jesus kind of flips this. And not only is it a thermometer, but the reverse is also true. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus talking to the people about giving in the kingdom. He says this, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. So in other words... It's not just that your heart impacts what you give. Where you give impacts your heart. So all of a sudden, where we give and where we scatter seed and where we're sowing, that actually can aim our hearts. Instead of being just a thermometer of what we're thinking or what we're feeling, it becomes a thermostat. You can set the temperature of your life with your giving and your generosity. That's what Jesus is saying here. Because he's saying, your, your heart is actually going to follow your money, right? And oftentimes, it's easy for us to identify places where we are moved emotionally, and so we give as a response, which is fantastic. And Jesus says the opposite's also true. Like where your treasure is, where you're investing, where you're scattering seed in your life, you know what's going to happen? You're, you're just going to move that way. Your heart's going to be drawn to those things as you start to see this crop and this harvest of relationship and joy and hilarious and abundance and cheer start to, that's where you're going to go. And so that's what he's telling us here. It's a great invitation to have your heart follow your money, not just to take your temperature, but to set 
the temperature of your life, even spiritually. And like I said, that, that's kind of my story and my journey. I started at this place of seeing God as being overbearing and withholding. And that they, there wasn't going to be enough. And so I'd have to hold on and protect. And what I've seen over time is, is I've continued to, to trust and to scatter seed and to believe that he is dependable and that he's good and he's true to his word. I've experienced it personally in my own life. And so then I reach a place where all of a sudden my heart is moving so much more towards the things of even his kingdom. But I didn't start there. Nobody does. But giving becomes this powerful tool to set the temperature of your life and move towards the things of God. Have him affect you. So I think the second question is, is just, how's your heart this morning? I mean, just even as we're on this adventure and this journey together already, what are you thinking? And what are you feeling? And what are you resonating with? What brings a smile to your face? A sense of cheer and joy and contentment. What are you wrestling with? What's stirring you? Just all of that is a gift from God. Just to consider, what's that? Because that is going to impact your giving. And your giving can also set the temperature of your heart. It becomes a redemptive part of your story. Okay, finally, verse 8. Paul writes this. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and they give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. I love this, right? Again, clearly the first thing Paul wants us to understand is God has and he gives more than enough. Right? Like God isn't on a budget. Right? So it's like he has and he gives more than enough. And he uses these powerful words, terms that anchor him back to who God truly is. That he is the author and creator of life. And everything that we see and experiences, it says he provides seed for the farmer. If you go back to the beginning of harvest and seeds and all that, did you ever wonder, like, where did seeds even come from? If that's the birthplace of a harvest, if that's the birthplace of plants or food, where did they come from? Well, they came from God. For extra credit, just go read the first couple chapters of Genesis. It's pretty short, and you'll get to see God creates everything. It's beautiful. It works together in harmony. It's powerful and majestic, and he creates light and dark and the sun and the moon and the stars and even water and rain and everything needed to do what? Not just create life, but it says he also doesn't give seed. He gives bread to eat. So everything that crops become, God's the one who invented, created all of that. He's not just the author and creator. He's the sustainer of life. He's the one that created the ingenuity for all of those technological advances in the thousands of years since scattering seed by hand. That's God's gift to his people, right? And we're evidence of that. Every single one of us, every single one of you has unique skills and gifts and abilities and passions 
and desires and relationships and capacities. And all of that is a gift from him. He has and he gives more than enough. That's what he's saying in this passage. He never runs out. Ever. He's, a, he's always been and he always will be. He's not on a budget. And he distributes to all. And that's where we see the second part. We get and we give more than enough. Because God has and gives enough, he, we get and we get to give then more than enough. There's this idea of abundance that it isn't just for you. You're not supposed to be a cul-de-sac of generosity. Right? You're a conduit of generosity. It's going to be for you and through you to the world around you. And that's what he's saying. I'm going to always give you more. That's what he says at the beginning. He'll generously provide all you need. Then you have everything you need and what? Plenty left over to share. Later on at the bottom, he'll provide and do what? Increase your resources. It's not just going to be bare. There's going to be times that are going to feel so tight. There's going to be times if I can just get through and hold on. And that's where we get to see God's love and his kindness and his compassion and his provision. And we get to experience him personally in ways we never would through daring rescues. And there will be times where we, we get so much more than we need. And every time we get more than we need, that's what he's saying is, well, that's not all for you. That's to work through you to change this world around you. He wants us to become generosity addicts. Right? We say here all the time, if you've been around here, one of the things you know we say often is we actually feel called to be the most generous people in the world. We want to startle the world with our generosity. And this is where it comes from. We don't just make these things up. If you're around here, one of the things we say a lot is whenever there's more, we know it's not for us. We know it's for others. This is where it comes from. This is just one of those 2,000 passages where God has shaped the thinking of our church family through thousands of years to impact this world as he impacts our lives. And that's where we get to see that generosity played out, even all through these foundational values that we've been talking about through this All Things New series. So I talked about gathering and how important it is, right? Because this is the place where we come together and we're encouraged and we remember that what? That God is good and that he's loving and that he has and that he gives so much to every single one of us. That's why we talk about generosity and every week we say we do what? We bring an offering. This is the place we come and we give back as part of this gathering. Because this is where we get to startle the world with generosity collectively. And it's all in God's name. The things that we do that are amazing in the city, they get to transform and change lives. When it's partnered with and comes through the church, guess who gets all the credit? God, not me, not you, not our volunteers. Our God gets the credit. And that's what's beautiful. That's why we gather. But here's one of the things. We know, like I said, we can't become everything that God's called us to be just by gathering. And we'll never experience all that God wants us to experience just by gathering, which is why we grow together. We have to get in smaller groups we have to get in life groups where we look around and there are 8 to 10 to 12 people. And all of a sudden we're seen and we're known. And all of a sudden we get to walk these things out more personally. And that's where we get to tangibly care with and for one another. That's where we get to share and distribute resources to one another. Even when we're going through the most desperate places. There are people in my life 
that have stood with me when we've walked through dark valleys financially. And it wasn't because of the big weekend. It was because of the life group that I was walking with. And that's why I'm always saying, do you know there's Alpha on Thursday nights? You should come. Do you know that there's a life group for you? You should get involved. Do you know that we have these men's things starting and these women? Like, because you're seen and you're known. And the sad thing is, so often, as a pastor, I'll get emails or letters from people. They'll reach out and they'll say, I am in a desperate place. Can you help? And you need to know the first thing is, we will always say, we want to do everything we can do to help you well. But one of the questions I'll ask people in that process is, tell me about your life group. How are they responding? And more often than not, the people that are calling me or just emailing the church, you know what their answer is? I don't have a life group. I'm not in a life group. And you need to know, that's why. I want you to be in and with a group of people that will absolutely care for you through the most desperate seasons of life, including financially, in a way that the church might never even know about or can. That's also why we walked last week into our go value. Like we have to create intentional pathways to say yes to the way we can meet the needs of the city and our community and the world as a church. We wanna say yes to the opportunities that God gives us. It's because of the generosity, that, like you heard, that we get to say yes when the youth centers wanted to partner with us to open this space and others. We get to say yes when the city comes to us and say, hey, would you help find some solutions to love and care for and see our unhoused residents in this city? And you can see the fruit of what God's doing. When the world shut down because of COVID, we had people that said, we need to feed families. If stores are closed and nobody can work, 40, 50% of the city lives at or below the poverty line. We should help feed them. That's how our food pantry got started. So you get to see how this generosity is about going, finding intentional ways to be a part of that. And giving then becomes threaded and woven through all of it. That is the invitation God's giving us. So remember the goldfish. So the yelling and the screaming and the crying and the arguing of my kids. And remember what one day I just blurted out to them? When you share, there's always more. And I was praying with all of my heart that there was another thing of goldfish in the cupboard. And what I've realized over time in my life is that is a foundational value of giving that had been woven into my life through God's word and his church for years. And we have a heavenly father that when we're arguing and screaming and crying and yelling because our goldfish have run out or we want to hold on and take somebody else's, you know what he says? When you share, there's always more. And he goes back, and he's got a cupboard full of goldfish that will never run out because he's got all the factories that make them and the technology behind it. And he just smiles and says, you see, when you share, there's always more. And that's the invitation 
that we get in this passage. And that's my experience with God. And that's why I wanted to weave that not just into my kids, but into your life. Because I don't want you to miss anything that God has for you. Your heart impacts what you give. And where you give impacts your heart. I'm going to give you a practical way just to maybe try and set the temperature of your heart over these next weeks. I want to give you an opportunity through a thing we're just going to call the giving challenge, right? And here's the thing. I'm going to give you four groups, and I simply just want you today just to identify which group you're in. Because in my experience, we're probably all going to find ourselves in one of these four places. The first one is maybe you're somebody who's never given anything. I just want you to think about, are you willing to give something? Just think about it. Just Are you willing to try and just go, you know what? I've been given some seed, some goldfish. I'm going to try. Just say, are you willing to just try and give? Second group of people probably has given something. Are you willing to, instead of just toss that one handful of seed, are you willing to toss a few handfuls and see what God might do? Are you willing to go from something to, to more regular and consistent sowing of seed and giving and see what God might do? Some of you maybe are giving consistently. You understand that principle and you've been living it out. And maybe it's time to take the next step, which, which the Bible gives us this word and, and, and the more passages in principle, but about this called the tithe, just means tenth. And here's the thing that was important about that. Number one, it was part of the first, the first part of our giving and generosity. So for me, you can hear how badly I screwed that up in my life for so long. Because I would wait to give until all the bills were paid and everything was done and I felt like I had a handle on it and then I was gonna give. And do you think I ever gave? And the obvious answer is no. And so that's why tithing is so important because it's the first part of what you scatter. It's the first part of your seed. It's remembering that, God, all this is yours. You gave me all of this. You get to experience him differently. And it will feel terrifying at times. But you get to experience his love for you and his provision for you. And so I don't want you to look at, right, 10%, right, is kind of that number established. I don't want you to look at that as, as like a mountain and just go, oh, I can't do that. That's okay. If you give consistently and you're consistently giving 2%, Try 4%. That's double what you're doing now. Just see what God might do. If you're giving four, get, go to six or eight. Just, just see. Just take that up. And then for some of us, maybe we're people that are consistent tithers. Right? And this is, this is the group. This is me. This is my wife and I. This is who we are. And so even this week, as I've been talking and wrestling and praying with this, we want to say yes, not just to this. We want to be able to say yes when we go above and beyond it, like last week for generosity for the world through going. We want to be able to say yes to whatever God brings. But what does it look like to move beyond that 10% to literally hold all of it and offer it all back to God and have the first question you ask is, God, what do you want to do with all this? What do you want? Not what do I want, but what do you want? This is yours. What do you want? Because he would say that when you share, there's always more. Let me pray for us as we close.
Father, Father, I, I, I delight in the fact that you knew every single one of us was going to be here this morning. And I believe more than anything that you've been reminding us that you are good and that you're powerful and that you're loving and caring and that you created and own everything. And in that, as you see us, you delight over us. You created us in your image. You gave us unique skills and gifts and capacities and dreams and vision. God, and it's your heart to see all those things come to life. And so I pray even in, in this rhythm of giving and generosity, God, that you would help us to move towards it with a sense of wonder that you would help us to move towards it with a deep humility, acknowledging that all of it's yours. And God, that you would also help us to move towards it with courage, not being afraid or wondering, but God, knowing that when we take our next step, we don't take it alone, we take it with you. And by you, by your power, by your strength, by your spirit at work within us. And so I pray as we continue just to listen today that you would, your voice would be just the loudest voice above all the noise maybe that exists in our life through just the emotions of, of fear or doubt or anxiety or obedience. Maybe the questions or assumptions that we've had. And God, you would just give us clarity in this moment of honesty and humility with you. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.